self-esteem and sin. Hey, welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot as she called us to live to a higher standard every day. To not just be satisfied with a little religion in life, that's a shallow substitute for giving God our best. As this series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We continue with a look at the therapeutic movement. It's just a five-part series that we conclude next time. But today, it's the appeal of psychology and understanding self-esteem and sin, parts three and four in this five-part series. Again, it's the therapeutic movement. Well, as we think about psychology, self-esteem, and other themes today, we'll hear today about her reaction to one of her own talks. Also, we'll hear from a pastor who has spoken to many people over the decades and what he saw of the relationship that Elizabeth had with her Heavenly Father. Well, the appeal of psychology is our topic, though, on our first Gateway to Joy program. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend Elizabeth Elliot continuing my talks today on the therapeutic movement. I need therapy myself just about every day, but I haven't paid any money for it, and I find all sorts of help in the writings of not only the scriptures, you know, we can find all sorts of help that isn't going to cost us very much, and I do consider myself a pupil sitting at the feet of many great teachers. And one of my great teachers is Francois de la Motte Fenelon, who lived in the 17th century, and he has such down-to-earth common sense. He says, among other things, and I have tried to memorize this little paragraph because I need it so often, accustom yourself to unreasonableness and injustice. Abide in peace in the presence of God who sees all these evils more clearly than you do and who permits them and who permits them. Be content with doing with calmness the little which depends upon yourself, and let all else be to you as if it were not. And that fits in with another little lesson that the Lord has been reminding me of. Very few things in my life are my business. Very few things are my business. The Lord just keeps reminding me, you stick to your business don't mind anybody else's. Well, we're living in a culture in which the therapeutic movement has become another gospel. Psychology has tremendous appeal to both Christians and non-Christians. And the appeal is basically a religious one. Kirk Kilpatrick whose book, Psychological Seduction, I read a number of years ago, and I'm glad to be reviewing it again. He is a professor of psychology at Boston College. And he says, the appeal psychology has for both Christians and non-Christians is a complex one, but it is difficult to make sense of it at all unless you understand that it is basically a religious appeal. For the truth is, psychology bears a surface resemblance to Christianity. 
not doctrinal Christianity, of course. Most psychologists are hostile to that. And naturally enough, so are non-Christians. Nevertheless, there is a certain Christian tone to what psychology says and does. Echoes of loving your neighbor as yourself, the promise of being made whole, avoidance of judging others. Those ideas are appealing to most people, no matter what their faith. But like most counterfeits, popular psychology does not deliver on its promises. Instead, it leads both Christians and non-Christians away from duty or proper conduct. It is a seduction in the true sense of the word. Christianity is more than psychology. It happens to be better psychology than psychology is. Now remember, this is a Christian psychologist talking. The important thing, he says, as he was studying in graduate school and had begun to lose interest in the Christian faith, he said, as far as I could see, there was no essential difference between psychology and Christianity. I had been reading the most liberal theologians, that is to say, the most psychologized ones, and from what I could gather, the important thing in religion was not Bible or creed, but simply loving other people. I thought I could swing that easily enough without the help of church or prayers. Such practices, I assumed, were intended for those who hadn't attained awareness. Psychology, in addition, had interesting explanations for almost every type of human behavior, and I had no reason to doubt its version. Eric Fromm said that to love others, you first have to love yourself. Didn't that square with what Jesus taught? Certainly made wonderful sense to me. Like most other 22-year-olds, I thoroughly loved myself. My newfound Bible was psychologist Carl Rogers's on becoming a person. In it, Rogers gently suggested that humans are at heart good and decent creatures with no more natural disposition toward hatred than a rosebud. I looked within and found no hate. There were no bad people, I concluded, only bad environments. Am I ringing any bells out there? Have you heard any statements which he quotes from secular psychologists that you've heard perhaps from a pulpit or from the couch of your psychiatrist? You have to learn to love yourself before you can love anybody else. Are we at heart good and decent creatures? Are there no bad people, only bad environments? Back to our outline, we need to recognize the sufficiency of Christ, grace, and scripture. We got through Christ and grace yesterday, very briefly, and scripture. The conflict, says Mahaney, isn't over the inspiration of scripture or the inerrancy, but the sufficiency of scripture. Second Timothy 3.16 says that the scriptures are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction and correction in righteousness. Jesus Christ does not merely give better answers to psychological questions. He gives the only answers to questions that psychology does not even ask, much less answer. And that, again, is from the book by Matsat, Power Religion. The greatest need in the church today is that people are starving for God. Presumably, they go to church because of some sense, however vague, that they need God. But what do they find? 
Sunday school teachers who talk about becoming whole persons, learning to care, working on accepting myself, hymn books which have been purged of, quote, exclusive language, unquote, preachers who emphasize personal mastery, success, positive or possibility thinking, the cure for disease, even a Cadillac instead of your Volkswagen. C.S. Lewis called it Christianity and. The goals of psychology are adjustment, coping, harmony, fulfillment, self-confidence, improved relationships. Now let me pause a moment and ask you, whatever your problem may be, have you been telling yourself that what you really need is adjustment, coping, harmony, fulfillment, self-confidence, improved relationships? I'm here to say to you today, the Bible contains the answers to every single one of those things. It's there in God's Word, written thousands of years ago, absolutely relevant today. C.S. Lewis said, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And when we ransack the scriptures and saturate our minds and our hearts in God's word, we are saturating our minds and hearts with something which is eternal. Modern psychology focuses on personal problems rather than on God. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That was the verse that I gave to a woman who called me the other day and described what she had done, which was certainly not something that God had told her to do, but she had done it because she felt a need in her life that was not being met. And so this was the source to which she went for meeting that need. Well, you can't disobey God and look elsewhere for the meeting of your needs and expect to find them and to find happiness because there is only one spring. Do you remember the story in the Narnia books where I think it's Lucy is trying to reach a certain spring? And she finds Aslan, the lion, in the way. And very politely, she asks him if he would mind moving for a moment so that she could get to the spring. And in his quiet, wise, loving way, Aslan looks at the little girl and he says, there is no other spring. Let's not forsake God, the spring of living water, and dig our own cisterns. They are, God says, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. A.W. Tozer says the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but little by little, 
and without her knowledge, and her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. This low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. The Appeal of Psychology, Part 3 in the Therapeutic Movement series. Later, we'll hear Part 4, Understanding Self-Esteem and Sin. Uh, Later on, we'll also hear from Pastor Barry Owens as he talks about Elizabeth's spiritual relationship with her Heavenly Father. Right now, artist, speaker, and friend of Elizabeth, Margaret Ashmore, has some insight on what Elizabeth thought about one of her own talks as she spoke to a group. I will never forget walking out of a conference together with Elizabeth right after she had spoken. Uh, She was real quiet. Uh, I could see that her eyes were a little misty and and red. So I very gently asked her if she were okay. She answered very honestly that she was quite unhappy about her talk, that she just didn't feel like it was any good and was quite upset about it. Now, now I'll tell you, I heard the talk, and it was exceptionally good. But at that moment, I saw that she was indeed very human. It, it had a profound effect on me in that we, we can all sometimes depend on our performance for our security, for our acceptance, and for validation. But as we continued to walk together, I heard her very quietly whisper, In acceptance lieth peace, a quote by Amy Carmichael. A smile replaced that look of of concern, and there it was. She wasn't a woman above human frailty. She was a woman who let her frailty be an avenue of the Lord's strength. Indeed, was his strength perfected in her weakness so that When we heard Elizabeth speak, we were hearing the spirit of the living God. Artist, speaker, and friend of Elizabeth, that was Margaret Ashmore. Later on, Pastor Barry Owens will be joining us. Right now, though, it's part four in our series on the therapeutic movement, understanding self-esteem and sin. And if we're going to talk about what God has to say about man's psyche— We have to go to God's Word, don't we? And so I want to read to you from Romans 1, beginning with verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. A very straightforward and unavoidable passage on the nature of sin. J.C. Ryle says in his book Holiness, dim or indistinct views of sin are the origin of most of the errors, heresies, and false doctrines of the present day. I believe that one of the chief wants of the church in the 19th century, and obviously his book was written 100 years ago, has been and is a clearer, fuller teaching about sin. And one thing that bothers me exceedingly about what I know of the therapeutic movement is avoidance of that word sin. It would be like a doctor who avoids the truth of a patient whose very life depends on understanding clearly what's wrong. Suppose the doctor tells a cancer patient, everything's fine. You don't need to do anything about it. Just keep on being who you are. Would that be honorable in a doctor? Teaching self-esteem is now replacing the doctrine of sin. And what was Calvary all about? If I'm okay and you're okay, or if I'm okay and you're not okay, but that's okay too, why did Jesus have to be nailed to a cross and die for our sins? Haven't we got sins? Are we not sinners by nature? In Romans 3, verse 10, we read, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one righteous, not even one. In verses 21 to 27, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, 
He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. May I ask you, have you ever consciously, deliberately put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, received by faith that redemption that he offers to us because of his sacrifice on Calvary? You know, it's very simple. It's a matter of faith. If you say, well, I don't have very much faith, or you may say, I don't have any faith, then say, Lord, help me to believe. If you're there, if you're real, if what I hear on Gateway to Joy is true, reveal yourself to me, teach me, show me. If you have a tiny little bit of faith, you can say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Calvary is not merely a manifestation of our value to God. He did not die on Calvary because of our value. He died because we're sinners. He died because we deserved nothing but punishment and death. And so he took it in our place. He became our substitute and took upon himself the sins of the whole world. As F.W.H. Myers puts it, desperate tides of the whole great world's anguish forced through the channels of a single heart. Christianity doesn't make sense without sin. If we're not sinners turned away from God, there was no reason for God to become a man, no reason for him to die. Our slavery to sin is the thing that Christ came to free us from. That is our most fundamental Christian belief. It follows that if you have no awareness of sin, you won't be able to see the point of Christianity. It's not surprising to me that the things that I say on this program make absolutely no sense to some people and very good sense to the many who write to me. And I thank you for those letters. Let me read to you from Kirk Kilpatrick's book, Psychological Seduction. He says, It is possible to create a climate in which people have very little sense of sin and therefore little chance of comprehending what Christianity is all about. We know it is possible because that is the climate that exists today. The fact is psychology has been enormously successful in its program to get people to accept themselves, or at least to accept the idea that they ought to accept themselves. Even when people do not, in fact, feel good about themselves, they have the belief that they ought to feel good. I'm sure you must have heard about those mathematical tests given to children in 13 different countries. The Koreans came out at the very top. The Americans at the very bottom. And then there was a question at the end of the exam that said, answer true or false. I am good at math. Do you want to ask yourself, who was at the bottom of the list on that one? You guessed it, the Koreans. They're always reaching for a higher standard. And you know who was at the top. Who said, I am good at math, the Americans? whose scores were the worst. So they have taught our students today in schools to feel good 
about doing poorly. How's that for education? Let me go on reading what Kirk Kilpatrick, who is a psychologist, says. Even when people do not feel good about themselves, they have the belief that they ought to feel good. Even when they feel guilty, they are convinced it is only neurotic guilt, not a matter for expiation, but for explanation. Besides creating in us the idea that we should feel good about ourselves, psychology leads us to place a high premium on integration and harmony of personality. The problem here is that for those who still believe in sin, beliefs and actions are often out of harmony. For I do not do the good I want, wrote St. Paul, but the evil I do not want is what I do. One way to handle this discrepancy between our beliefs and our sinful inclinations is to repent, pray for grace and forgiveness. That is the Christian approach. Understanding Self-Esteem and Sin. That's part four of a five-part series on the therapeutic movement. Well, we're just about out of time, but before we go, let's hear from Pastor Barry Owens on what he observed as far as Elizabeth's spiritual relationship with her Heavenly Father. There was nothing any closer to her heart than the Lord. Uh, she had a, a genuine one-on-one relationship with the Lord, and it was very evident. What she had is something that I would certainly desire to have because there was um, a oneness of spirit in her heart with the Lord. Charleston Pastor Barry Owens. Well, next week we wrap up this short series on the therapeutic movement, and we'll also look at a couple great hymns of the faith. That's next time. Right now, let me thank you for joining us today. You could have been doing a lot of things, and we appreciate your joining us. Maybe uh, as you were doing something else at the home, at the office, uh, maybe as you took a jog, wherever we found you. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org for more talks, devotionals, videos, and more. elizabethelliot.org And if you get a chance, leave a review for us. We have a number that have come through from Apple Podcasts. Uh, Somebody says, Elizabeth's careful biblical counsel refreshes my soul. Somebody else, thank you so much for streaming Elizabeth's talks and radio programs week after week. As a young woman, I can honestly and thankfully say that had the Lord not brought Elizabeth Elliot to my attention, I would not be where I am today. Her teaching is revolutionary and timeless, founded upon the Word of God. Well, thank you for your kind words, and friend, thank you for spending some time with us today. Until next time, may God remind you daily that you are loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms 